0: Uh, Joshua twenty-four, fourteen and fifteen. Uh, Joshua's closing words to the nation of Israel. Here's what he says: Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Let's uh, let's pray together this morning, shall we? Lord, we are so grateful uh, for the freedom and privilege we have to worship you today. And Lord, we thank you for uh, Jesus. We thank you for the cross. Uh, we thank you for forgiveness of sin. There's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And we uh, stand before you as forgiven people. And uh, part of the reason we're here is to just uh, worship you and tell you thank you. And Lord, we thank you for the word of God that we have. Uh, Lord, we're so blessed to have uh, God's word and so many different translations and realize there's uh, millions of people that don't have access to your word. So thank you for that privilege. Help us not to take it for granted. Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to your word today and that you would speak uh, to us, uh, Lord, through um, your word and your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for the folks in Gaylord, Michigan today. Uh, Lord, uh, some that have lost everything, some that are grieving loss of loved ones. And Lord, we're reminded of how quickly life can be taken away and how precious life is. Lord, would you uh, would you bless them, uh, and let them know that they are um, being prayed for, and uh, supply their every need. So thank you for today, and uh, open up our hearts to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're gonna jump uh, jump into Joshua here. Uh, if you've been with us for the last uh, five months, we've kind of reached a finish line. We started looking in uh, the book of Joshua back in January. And uh, so here we are five months later, and we're hitting the last chapter, Joshua chapter 24, and uh, kind of bring the uh, book to a uh, conclusion. So this morning we're going to look at the daily choices we all must make. Uh, every day we make choices, don't we? And um, some of them are, are mundane, some of them don't have very much uh, impact or significance, you chose to get up this morning, you chose to come to church today this morning, I'm grateful for that. You chose what kind of clothes you were going to wear, you chose whether to eat breakfast or not eat breakfast. Uh, every day we make dozens and dozens of choices, but the choice that we're going to look at this morning is a significant choice. It's not a mundane choice, but it's a choice that affects um, our lives, other people's lives, and ultimately our eternal destiny. And so we're going to look at Joshua chapter 24, and just as a little bit of a reminder, a little bit of a review, uh, remember last week we looked at Joshua chapter 23. Uh, Joshua was giving a closing farewell to the leadership of the nation. Uh, In Joshua 23, he calls together the the leaders, uh, the elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and he gives a farewell message. We discover that Joshua is 110 years old, and he's about to die, and so he has some significant words that he wants to share with the leadership. When we come to Joshua chapter 24 now, it's not just the leadership that he's talking to, but it's the entire nation of Israel. Uh, Look at chapter 24, verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, He has summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. So it's not just the leadership. The entire nation is there. That's about two million people. And uh, I want you to notice where they gather, and you have a map in your um, insert in your bulletin this morning, and uh, you will see the place where they gathered is Shechem. I've highlighted it in blue on your map. Uh, it's centrally located in the nation of Israel. And so all the tribes and all the uh, leaders come together at this place called Shechem. And now Joshua is going to give what basically is this farewell message. Now before we move on, I want us to get some background about this place, Shechem. Uh, because it has some great spiritual significance. This is a place that had a A history in the nation of israel this is a place where god did some significant things and so we need to understand what happened at shechem and the spiritual significance of shechem so first of all we want to discover that at shechem was a place of promise it was a place of promise Uh, if you have your bibles turn to genesis chapter 12 And we're going back in history about 600 years before the nation of Israel even existed. And Genesis chapter 12 has to do with the call of Abram and the beginning of the nation of Israel in the Abrahamic covenant. We've mentioned it a couple times in our study of the book of Joshua. Uh, Genesis 12.1, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make into you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So the first part of the Abrahamic covenant, Abraham, you're going to be the father of a nation, Israel. And I'm going to bless the entire world through your descendants. That was fulfilled in Jesus. But the second part of the Abrahamic covenant was not just the promise of Jesus coming through the Abrahamic line. It was property. It was land. And so Abraham has this call of God and he gets up and he leaves Haran and he leaves his hometown, which was Ur of the Chaldees, and he makes his way to Canaan. In fact, the Bible says he makes his way to Shechem. Look at it with me in uh, Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses uh, 6 and 7. Let me start in verse 5. So Abram took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all their possessions, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram. Where? At Shechem. To your offspring I will give this land. And so it was at Shechem where uh, God told Abram, this land of Canaan is going to be given to your descendants. And here we are 600 years later, and that promise has been fulfilled. And Israel is in the land, and they've received it as their inheritance. And now they're gathering together at... Shechem, the place of promise where God said to Abraham, I'm going to give to your people this, this land, this property. It was not only a place of promise, but the land of, or the city of Shechem was a place of worship. And uh, we'll just look at this real quickly there in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. The last part says, So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So when God said to Abram, uh, I'm going to give this land to your descendants, and he appeared to him at Shechem, what did Abram, how did Abram respond? And, well, he built an altar. Well, what's an altar for? Well, it's an altar is for uh, worship. An altar is for a place of sacrifice. And there Abram uh, builds this altar in Shechem, and he, he worships God. Two generations later, his grandson Jacob built an altar at that very place called Shechem. And we read about that in Genesis chapter 33. Uh, This is quite a bit uh, time later. And it says in verse 18, after Jacob came from Pada Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. He buys a piece of property, verse 20. There he set up an altar, and he called it El Elohi Israel. It means mighty is the God of Israel. I think that's great that two generations later, Abram's own grandson Jacob builds an altar in Shechem as a place, an opportunity to worship God. It was not only a place of promise and a place of worship, but Shechem was a place of commitment. It was a place of commitment. So Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 11 says, told the nation that when you get to the promised land, I want you to go to Mount Ebel and Mount Gerizim, which, by the way, is right by Shechem. And I want you to read out of Deuteronomy 28 the blessings from God and the curses from God. Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. And I want you to make a commitment or a recommitment to me. And so after the battle of Ai, and we looked at this in our study of, of Joshua, uh, in Joshua chapter 8, uh, we see that's exactly what Israel's doing. And in Joshua chapter 8, we read that uh, now Israel uh, comes together and it says, Joshua built an altar on Mount Ebal, an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, just as Moses had told him to. And it goes on to describe how uh, the whole nation comes together, where at Shechem and they make a commitment to God, they read the blessings, they read the cursings, and they commit their lives to God. So when it says that all of Israel came together at a place called Shechem, I want you to realize that that was a place of great spiritual significance, where God had done some awesome worked in the lives of individuals. So that's where Israel gathers. And now we see uh, Joshua's closing message. And in Joshua chapter 24, he begins by reviewing the past. He begins by talking about history. We're not going to take time to read these uh, 11 or 12 verses but um, I'll just hit some of the highlights. But Joshua reviews the entire history of the nation of Israel. And history's important, isn't it? It's important to know history. Uh, someone has said if we don't, you know, learn from history, then we keep making the same mistakes and, and God's given us history to to learn and and um know where we've come from and what our past is like. And so Joshua wants the people to review uh, the history of the nation and specifically God's faithfulness. And so I'll just hit some of the highlights here. Verse 2, Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. So Joshua's being the spokesperson from God to the nation of Israel. Where does he start? Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. He goes all the way back to the beginning of history. Actually, before Abram, and he talks about Abraham's father, Terah. They were idol worshippers in the Ur of the Chaldees. And then he begins to trace the entire history of Israel in the next uh, 10 verses or so, verses 3 and 4. He talks about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. Uh, verse 4, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. That's a good summary of 400 years of history. <laughs> then he talks about Moses, Aaron, the 10 plagues, the Red Sea. Uh, the last part of verse 7, you lived in the wilderness for a long time, 40 years. And then in 8 through 13, he summarizes, basically the book of Joshua, how God brought them into the land, how they conquered the nations and kings that were there. So he's reviewing the past. But as he reviews the past and he reviews the history, one of the things that he wants to point out to the nation of Israel is how God led them, how God worked in their history. In fact, if you read through this and highlight like I did, Uh, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. And now Joshua talks in the first person. When he says, I, he's not referring to himself. He's referring to God. But I took your father Abraham from the land. Uh, Verse 3, I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country. Then I went to Moses and Aaron. I afflicted the Egyptians. I brought you out. That personal pronoun, I, is used 18 times. And what Joshua is trying to point out to the nation of Israel is God was involved in your history through the whole thing. And it wasn't your strength, but it was God at work that enabled you to cross the Red Sea, that enabled you to to leave Egypt through the ten plagues, that provided for you in the wilderness, that opened up the Jordan River, that that helped you fight the battle of Jericho, and it's all because of God. And so he's trying to get the nation to reflect on not only their history, but the faithfulness of God. So Joshua reviews the past, but then in verses 14 through 28, he issues a challenge for the present. So here he is. And he's 110, he's about to die, and he wants to issue a challenge to the nation. And we read part of it in our scripture reading. Uh, Joshua's challenge for the present, it starts with the word now. We've just looked at the past, now, and he issues several challenges, several commands. Let's look at the first one. Uh, The first one is simply this, now fear the Lord. I want you to remember to fear God. And that's all through Scripture, isn't it? Um, Proverbs says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Where does wisdom start? By understanding who God is and having a reverential respect and fear for God. Solomon, in his uh, autobiography, Concluded his whole life and the whole summary of what he learned. Now let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Let me me summarize what your obligation is. You need to fear God and you need to obey him. First Peter chapter 1 in the New Testament, the uh, apostle Peter uh, writes these words. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as sojourners here in reverent fear. (laughs) You need to live your lives with what? A holy, reverent fear for God. And the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus speaks these words in verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So the first thing that Joshua says to the nation is, you better have a healthy fear and respect for God. Something that we've lost in our culture today. Have a holy, healthy fear for God. The great Puritan preacher Jonathan Edwards gave a stirring sermon entitled, very famous sermon back in the 1700s, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He was trying to get people's attention that someday you're going to have to stand before the God of the universe and God's going to be your judge. I don't know if you've ever stood in a courtroom been in a courtroom before a judge i have one time in my life when i was 18 years old and it was assault and battery case and i was on the receiving end of the assault and battery <laughs> and i remember that day standing there and putting my right hand up and Do you swear to tell the truth whole truth and nothing but the truth will help you god and i said yes and uh, they're in that courtroom and they're asking me questions and man uh, my heart was racing, and uh, yeah, I had a, a respect for uh, that whole process and the, the judge that was standing there. Well, Joshua is trying to get the nation to understand reverence and fear for God. And if we have a fear for God, a holy reverence for God and who he is, we're much more likely to obey him and to follow him. That's the first truth that, that Joshua shares with the nation. But the, the second one is, is this, and it follows in his opening statement in this section. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. So challenge number two, I want you to fear God, but I also want you to serve him. I want you to serve him with all faithfulness. Again, the word serve as we read through the rest of... uh Joshua's uh, closing words here to the nation of Israel, the word serve is found 14 times. <laughs> you know, he, he's talking about you know who you're going to serve. And if you're not going to serve God, then your choices are the idols that your ancestors uh, worshipped and the idols that were found in the land of Canaan before you got there. So which is it going to be? And so here is his challenge, fear God and serve him with all faithfulness. I mentioned I've had some contact with our latest missionary, um, Tim and G. Kavanaugh, and uh, God brought in their uh, financial support for them to get to the Philippines in about a year, which is unusual. Um, When I talked to Tim a couple weeks ago, he said their home church in California um, Picked up fifty uh, percent of their monthly support, which is a huge commitment to them. And uh, so they were originally supposed to go to the Philippines in November. Um, that was the schedule. And then the, the uh, leadership team there in Philippines called them and said, "We had another couple that was supposed to come in June, but now they're not coming. Can you move up your departure date t- to June?" And Tim and G said, "Well, I think we can do that, but it'll be tight. But we can we can do that." And so on June 25th, I'll be um, getting on a plane with uh, Nehemiah in Dakota and heading over to the Philippines and beginning their their work there in the Philippines, and um, so grateful for that. But uh, Tim had sent me um, over um, um, uh, my phone um, a little uh, overview that he gave, I think it was at their home church, of a presentation that they made that kind of gave an overview of this is our plan, uh, this is what we're going to do when we get to the Philippines, this is our goal, and he he kind of laid it all out. And so it was about 45 minutes long, I watched it this last week, and he talked about the fact, now when we get a church established in, in, the, in the Philippines, amongst these tribal people, and, and in this class presentation he says, um, so then the first thing we're going to look for is fat people. And I'm like, did I hear that right? Fat people, yeah. I said, that's kind of that's kind of rude. But then he he didn't he went right away to say, "Here's what I mean: faithful, available, and teachable." Oh, okay. It's an acronym. I'm looking for faithful, available, teachable people. <laughs> that's what God's looking for, isn't He? Faithful, available, teachable people. And so Joshua is saying. Hey, don't just fear the Lord, but I want you to serve him. I want you to be faithful, available, and teachable. Well, he gives us another uh, command here, challenge, uh, not only to to fear God, reverence God, and to serve God faithfully, but uh, the third challenge is throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped in Canaan and Egypt and serve the Lord. That's again in verse 14. Uh, Fear the Lord, serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt and serve the Lord. He repeats it again later on in verse 23. Now then, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So the, the third challenge, he says, is I want you to get rid of the idols in your life. Follow those foreign gods that your ancestors served and that were in Canaan. And that's the challenge for us today, too, isn't it? That an idol in our life is anything that we place ahead of God in our life. And it's not just a wooden statue, but an idol can be anything. And there are plenty of idols in our culture today. And so he issues the challenge to, to get rid of those gods. And we touched on the, the fourth one already when we read the last part of verse 23. And then what does he say? Yield yourselves, your hearts to the Lord. So it gives four challenges. Fear God. Serve God. Get rid of idols in your life. Yield your life to God. That's re- repeated in Romans 12, isn't it? In verses 1 and 2, after Paul lays out all that God's done for us. Um, through Christ and then like what's our response I beseech you brothers by the mercies of God present your bodies as what a living sacrifice to God holy and acceptable to God this is your reasonable service be not conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds and so it's, it's yielding our lives to God giving him first place well what was the people's response to all this and we're going to look at it. They responded with a resounding yes, not just once, not just twice, but three times. Let's look at it. Uh, here's their response, verse sixteen. And and let me let me finish up verse verse fifteen. Like a true leader, Joshua issues his choice, and then he says, "I'll tell you where I stand. You can choose between God and the Amorite gods and the the gods of." your ancestors, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. And and now the people respond. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And they repeat their history of what God did for them. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God, the last part of verse 18. They're like, no, we're gonna we're gonna serve the, the God of Israel. Now Joshua cautions them He doesn't want them to make a light decision. He says, do you know what you're actually committing to? And so he gives them some cautions. In fact, he says, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. Here's affirmation number two. But the people said, no, we will serve the Lord, verse 21. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they said. Again, verse 24. Now for the third time, they reaffirm. After Joshua says, get rid of your foreign gods, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. So how did the people respond when Joshua said, you need to serve God? They said, yes, not just once, not just twice, but three times. The sad part is that while that generation that lived with Joshua served God, It isn't very long in history when we go down the road a generation or two that Israel is far, far from God. And that should speak to us today. Because we don't want just our generation to serve God, but we want, what, the next generations to serve Him. Someone said Christianity is only one generation away from extinction, and that's true. God doesn't have any grandchildren. And and our kids and our grandkids have to grow up in what? They have to choose for themselves who they're going to serve. And so um, they say a resounding yes. And then leader Joshua says, okay, let's make it official. Let's kind of put a, a a marker in the ground. Let's kind of draw an X and... Realize this is the spot where the entire nation made a commitment to serve God. So look what Joshua does. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people, uh, uh, an agreement. And there at Shechem, this place of promise, this place of worship, this place of commitment, they make another commitment. He reaffirmed for them decrees and laws And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. He he writes it down. And then it says that he takes a large stone and he sets it up under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. He wants to mark the spot. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. So the, they, they placed the stone, and, and Joshua wrote it down as a, as a reminder. This is the spot. This is the place where the entire nation said, We're going to serve the true God, Jehovah. Well, the book ends and Joshua begins by reviewing the past and then he issues a challenge to the present. And I already touched on this a little bit. Uh, look at how the book ends. Joshua's life and ministry impacted the future. So he talked about the past, God's faithfulness. He issued a challenge to the present. Serve God, fear God, yield to him, get rid of those idols. And then uh, we read about The end of the book, beginning in verse 29. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Serah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Here it is. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua. Uh, As long as Joshua was alive, the whole nation followed God and followed their leader. Not only that, but they served the Lord throughout the elders, the lifetime of the elders who outlived Joshua and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And so the book concludes Joshua dies at 110 and Joshua's life not only impacted the present but his life and his commitment to God impacted what the future it impacted the lives of those that outlived him and that's what we all want in our lives isn't it to leave some sort of godly legacy that will uh, impact the lives and the generations yet to come psalm 78 talks about that but the close of the book talks about three burials uh, Joshua dies, 110. He gets buried in uh, Timnath, Sarah. Uh, Verse 32. And this is fascinating. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the track of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants so a second burial joshua dies and is buried but they have the bones of joshua Uh, joshua joseph too many j's here joseph has died a long time ago i want you to see what joseph said when he died because joseph was down in the land of of egypt and in genesis chapter 50 the close of joseph's life uh in verses 24 through uh twenty-six. Let me read that for you. Genesis fifty, twenty-four through twenty-six. Uh, then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid. Remember, there are slaves in Egypt, and take you out of this land to the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's faith. Joseph says, We're not staying here in Egypt. Because remember, God promised uh, our ancestors, we're going to the promised land. And Joseph made the Israelites to swear on an oath, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. And Joseph died at the age of 110, same age as Joshua. Joseph said, when I die, and when God comes through and takes you from Egypt and puts you in the land of Canaan, guess what? I want you to take my bones with, with you because I want to be buried in the promised land. And so that's what happened. And uh, when we read about the Exodus and the ten plagues and uh, God delivering e- Israel from 400 years of Egyptian slavery, Exodus thirteen nineteen, and Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Because Joseph had made the Israelites swear by an oath, God will surely come to your aid. You must carry my bones up with you from this place. So here they are. They carried those bones for 40 years through the wilderness. Everywhere they went, someone was carrying Joseph's bones. And now uh, here finally, that promise to Joseph is fulfilled. uh, And Joseph gets buried in the land of Canaan, the promised land. And then there's a third burial that's mentioned here as the book closes. And Eliezer, son of Aaron, died. He was the high priest. And he was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to the son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. And so the book closes by talking about three burials. Joshua dies, 110, buried. Joseph's bones carried for 40 years and uh, finally buried. And then the high priest dies, and the book of Joshua and. Well, this morning we want to wrap this up by just uh, thinking about some questions to consider, and I think I've got three or four of them. I've got four of them as we talk about. Well, how does this apply to me today? What what do I need to consider from this closing chapter in Joshua chapter twenty four? So here's the first thing I want us to think about. Remember how I said Shechem was this special place for Israel. It had spiritual significance. It was where God promised Abram the land. It was where Abram built an altar. Jacob, his grandson, built an altar. where It was a place of worship. It was a place where they made renewed commitments to serve God. And so my question to you is, can you recall some places, physical places, geographical places, where God made a significant Spiritual impact in your life. In other words, do you have any Shechems in your life? Do you have any places where you look back and say, wow, God, God met me there. And, and something significant spiritually happened in my life. I remember my dad telling me, in about, I think he was probably in his mid-80s. It might have been late 80s. My dad grew up in, in Buffalo, New York, and their family attended Calvary Baptist Church. And um, the fact that they started going to church uh, when he was young, really due to his grandmother's influence, impacted the trajectory of his life and his three brothers. My dad um, came to know the Lord there, uh, I remember my dad talking about the pastor there. His name was Roger Bacon. And this pastor took a special interest in my dad when he was younger. I remember my dad saying there was one, there was one service where they were asking people to commit their lives to God. And my dad's a high schooler and, um, they gave an invitation and my dad's sitting in the second row and he comes up and he says, I'm, I'm going to give my life to God. Uh, whatever you have for me, God, I want to. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. And um, uh, that greatly impacted my dad's life. And from there, uh, through the influence of this pastor Bacon, he went to a Christian college, Bryan College in Dayton, Tennessee. This little tiny school that had about four hundred students. My dad had gone to a huge public school in Buffalo, New York. But he loved the family atmosphere of that small Christian college. And there he grew, and then God called him to ministry, and then he went to Grace Seminary, and and then he uh, pastored churches and missionaries' uh, ministry all around the world. And I remember when he had to be in his mid to late 80s, and him and my stepmom decided to take a trip back to Buffalo, New York. They found Calvary Baptist Church. And they went in. My dad says he went to that second row and he stood there. He said, this is the place. This, this is where God spoke to me and this is where God impacted my life. I don't know about you, but I've got, I've got three places. One is my, my home church and my dad pastored in Cleveland, Ohio for 18 years, Bethlehem Baptist Church and there were several significant spiritual moments there. Uh, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago would be another place for me. Uh, we're attending a, a, for about 15 years every May. I went to a pastor's conference there for a week. And uh, uh, God worked in significant ways in Tory Gray Auditorium. And uh, I, I could take you to a spot where uh, I was up in the balcony and... Uh, going through a struggling time in my life. And I remember at the close of that service, um, uh, four or five of my pastor's friends came around me and we had a time of prayer and they just put their hands on me and, and prayed for me. And God ministered in a tremendous way. The third place for us is Maranatha Bible Missionary Conference where we've gone and vacationed as a family and uh, served the Lord for the last uh, 20 plus summers and God's done some significant places there. So I hope you have some shekums, Some places where God spoke to you and you can reflect on that. About six or seven years ago I was downstairs for whatever reason. Um, I know the reason. I was uh, previewing a video series that I was thinking about sharing with the, the church and I don't know why I was downstairs other than maybe the TV and the DVD player was down there. So I'm downstairs, usually by myself, most of the time here at the church. And I'm watching this DVD and kind of previewing it to see if it's appropriate to share with the church family. And then I'm, I hear some noise upstairs. And you know how in buildings, on you're, you're down below, and, the, and then the, you can hear like the boards creaking. And I'm like, well, it sounds like somebody's here. And uh, well, that's fine. And I just kept watching the D V. Well... Finally, um, a husband and wife found me downstairs. And I wrote down their names. This is like six or seven years ago, and I, I looked for that piece of paper, and I couldn't find it. So I, I had their names for a long time. And she's like, and they introduce themselves like, well, want, this, is, this is the place. We're, we're, we're so glad we found this. And they lived in Illinois somewhere and they were traveling and like, no, this is it. Do you know what happened here? I, I grew up in Manchester and I grew up in a, a, a difficult home situation and, and I lived downtown in one of those little apartments and, and somebody from the church would, would come by as a young person and, and take me to church and bring me to this church every Sunday. And I was baptized right here in this spot. This was my place in of of safety and security. This is where God spoke to me, and uh, I had a wonderful opportunity just to try to um, gave her a little tour of the building and just the little history of the church. You see, this was her Shechem. and she was so glad to come back and revisit the place where God spoke. Well, secondly, we'll conclude here with these next three very quickly. Do you regularly reflect on God's faithfulness in your life? So Joshua's first half of his message was all about what? Israel's history and how faithful God had been. And that's something that we need to do regularly. Not just at Thanksgiving time, but regularly throughout the year as we have opportunity to give thanks to God for his great. Great faithfulness, as the hymn says, great is your faithfulness. Number three, a question to consider. Do you make a conscious and daily choice to fear and serve God? Do you make a conscious daily choice to serve God? We're all serving somebody or something or ourselves. But the choice that Joshua issues is, hey, we need to serve God. And so I'd encourage you to, to do that, and uh, just start start the day uh, with a commitment to serve God. God speaks to us through His Word; it's a good place to start your day, and we speak to God through prayer. And so, just to make that commitment on a daily basis, like here I am, here I am today, Lord, and I want to serve You, and will You help me to see some opportunities that I have. Just serve you. Guess where it starts? It starts right in the, the home, you know. And that's, that's where it starts. And then it broadens out to people that we come into contact with in our community and opportunities to serve in the church and opportunities to um, invest in the lives of a young couple going to the Philippines. Lord, help me to faithfully serve you today. And then the last question is this, and it really comes out of how the book closes. The book closes with three funerals, Joshua, or burials, Joshua, Joseph, and Eleazar, And it's a reminder that life is short. It's a reminder that we're all going to die someday. And so the fourth question is, are you prepared for life after death? Hebrews 9 twenty seven is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And so uh that's uh that's what we need to do is be ready uh to make sure that we know Christ is our Savior, that our trust is in him and him alone and has shed blood of Christ on the cross. And once we know that, then um the Bible says we're his uh ambassadors. We're to tell the rest of the world the good news. Of the great exchange, he who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might become what the righteousness of God. We exchanged our sin, our eternal destiny, for God's gift of eternal life. One of the things, and it was in the bulletin, and I didn't didn't mention it, but one of the things that um out of our business meeting last uh, Sunday. As we prayerfully considered what how God can help us reach out into our community, is that uh, the church body authorized us to spend five thousand dollars on um, the great gas giveaway? Have you noticed gas prices lately? <laughs> kind of painful to fill up your gas tank, and so we prayerfully, uh, as board talked about this and said, "Well, let's. What if we took?" Um, $5,000, and what if we bought $150 gas cards? And uh, what if we had people then on a certain day, and we're working out the details of this, how this will work logistically, but what if they came to the church and we're able to give them a $50 gift card? But along with that $50 gift card, we're going to give them the gospel, a step the good news, or steps to peace with God track, and just a little note from the church and bless them. I think that would be a good thing to get God's word, the gospel out, and it'll help the community. And I don't think we're going to have to do a whole lot of advertising for that to happen. And you can help us with that too. So once, once we find out the date and the logistics, we'll let you know and uh, That'll be a great, great day. We're also going to offer to pray with people, every car that comes through. Here's a $50 gas card. Here's a track that tells you how to know Jesus is your Savior. Uh, bless you from the church. And, um, hey, by the way, while you're here, um, and I'll uh, take the lead in this, and if anybody wants to join me in this, let me know. Um, how can we pray for you? And I've discovered that very few people decline an offer to pray for him. And uh we'll see. Um, we'll see God do a work. And so uh coming up sometime in mid-June and uh, we'll look forward to how God works. Well, the daily choice we all must make. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Joshua said, "Me and my house we're serving God." I trust that's your heart's desire too. Let's let's pray together. Father, thank you for the book of Joshua. Thank you for the great faith that uh, Joshua and that uh, that new generation exhibited in the face of uh, fear, in the face of uh, battle, in the face of giants in the land, they decided not to let fear conquer them, but to put their faith in you. And Lord, I thank you for um, the life of Joshua. I thank you for his challenge to the nation. And, Lord, I pray that as we consider our own lives, that we will uh, be challenged today uh, to fear you and to serve you, to put you in first place in our life and to yield our lives to you. May we echo with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Lord, bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.